Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Bonnie Brown, the president of Humane Network, and Diane Blankenberg, who is the CEO of Humane Network. Welcome to the show, ladies. Hi, it's great to be here, Stacy. Likewise. And for folks that aren't familiar with Bonnie and Diane, I'm chatting with them like they're my best friends because I spend a lot of time with them chatting with them. And I've had them both on the podcast. So if you're interested in finding out about Bonnie's story, Diane's individual stories, you can feel free to go to the communitycatspodcast.com website and just put Bonnie or Diane in the search bar and you'll be able to pull up the shows that they've been on in the past. Today, we're going to talk about a really interesting topic to me which is the process of recruitment. Both Bonnie and Diana Humane Network help organizations finding new leadership. So if you have an executive director or director of development who is leaving your organization and you need to find someone else to replace it, they're the pros in finding new folks to join your organization. And so you know, I'm here today to ask them to share a little bit about what the process is and what their experience has been with regards to recruiting staff. So Bonnie, I first like to ask you sort of the big picture about what has been your experience with recruiting for organizations? Has it been when an organization has lost an executive director or they have fired an executive director or is it a brand new position? I mean, what has been your experience in this whole recruitment world? Yeah, well, you know, typically it's challenging for people and it's often at a time when they're experiencing a lot of stress. When a leader leaves, suddenly organizations are faced with the challenge of finding someone new. And it's not always easy because you're looking for someone who's going to be a fit for the organization in several specific ways. And I think it might be good if Diane talked a bit more about that. But one of the things that we stress about the entire thing is to create a process and you want to get really clear on what you're looking for in this new person that you're trying to hire because the clearer it is to you and to the other people on the hiring committee or the board of directors, what qualifications, what skills, what personality traits you're looking for, for your organization, the more likely it is that you're going to find the right person and finding the right person is really important because obviously when you're bringing in a new leader, it's impacting the whole entire organization and everyone on the team and all of your donors and volunteers and everyone that's interacting with your organization. So doing it right is so crucial. And I think that only adds to the stress for so many people when it comes right down to trying to hire that right person. So Diane, can you tell us like the process that you use? I mean, did you first start out with like a job description and do you put it in the local paper and like talk us through some of the steps that you take an organization through in this process? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. The first step is to be clear on what the requirements are and and develop the appropriate materials. And the first thing you need to know is what are those core competencies that that particular position uh, needs or is important to fulfill as far as, like Bonnie said, getting the right person 
on board. That leads into developing a job description, make sure you have titles, do you have the right salary range for them, and then potentially developing some materials that will help you, uh, additional materials that would help you with maybe advertising the position. One of the things that's super important when you're developing those core competencies is to look at three different aspects of the position. One is, can they do it? You know, what are their abilities and skill sets? Two is, will they do it? And that is more related to their motivation and their willingness to do it. And the third is the fit. And the fit has to do with different areas because it's a personality issue sometimes as far as fitting into the team that they'll be working with. But it's also a cultural fit into not only the field, but to that particular organization. So that's step one, getting all of your recruitment materials and even a timeline developed. The second step is to then post the job description in a variety of places. There's a lot of great websites that are free that we recommend. You can obviously do some local advertising. And also the other thing that we can help with personally is to do some targeted recruitment. We certainly have a network of people that we've worked with over the years, like Stacy and can reach out for specific positions to specific people that we know that might have some great recommendations. The third step is to track and assess the applicants as they come in. So we do keep a spreadsheet of who has applied and what their basic qualifications are, and then certainly responding to them so they know that there's action being taken, giving them updates on the status of the process, and then recommendations on who needs to be considered or who we think at least is qualified on paper to the client. And then the last step is then to actually set up uh, interviews. We often, depending on the size of the organization and depending on the level of the position, recommend doing a phone interview screening process up front. That allows us to narrow down those folks that looked qualified on paper to people we really think are going to be potential candidates to move forward in the process then setting up a video conference with folks, usually board members or other executive leadership team members from the organization. From that, there's more recommendations and narrowing down to ultimately being able to do an in-person meeting or excuse me, in-person interview with them. Of course, that's a super challenging part of it right now with the COVID-19 problems, but still we have some groups we've been working with that are still trying to do some of this, uh, that third level uh, remotely and and be able to hopefully still move forward on, on making decisions. So if it gets down to the end of actually making an offer, we can also help with providing that offer to the candidate and even some of the negotiation pieces if that's necessary or desired. And all of these things are are negotiable as far as what we would do with an individual client. This is just the general process that we like to recommend. Bonnie, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I think I would say that, you know, having a process like this helps even if it's a recruitment that you're going to do internally without any outside support. It's still really important to have an agreed to process. And sometimes I talk to groups and they decide, well, you know, we know Betty and she's worked here and we just want to promote Betty into the position. But the best thing you can do for an internal applicant like that is to go through the process because it gives them legitimacy, even if they are the person who ends up being chosen. Otherwise, their appointment 
to other staff, sometimes to other stakeholders, doesn't look as legitimate because you didn't really conduct a search. And I think that really applies in general to jobs, that if everyone, internal candidates and external candidates, are going through a process that the organization creates, even if it's a fairly simple one where just interviews are conducted, it is fair. It is fair. It looks fair. And it helps the person who is ultimately hired to have that legitimacy bestowed upon them that they really were the best candidate for that position rather than just a warm body. And I think that's sometimes hard for groups to understand when they're in that panic phase over having an open position. But down the road, it's really important and taking time to get the hiring right. And I'm not saying, you know, drag your feet or go unnecessarily slowly. I think you can move forward expeditiously. But at the same token, having a process that everyone understands helps you down the road with onboarding the person and with the person's credibility with everyone that they interact with in the future. What is the typical timeline for this, Bonnie? I mean, that's a long process. How long should we anticipate this happening? To your point at the beginning, Stacey, if you're talking about an executive director or a development director or an operations director, those are really crucial positions, especially for a larger organization. And it takes time for the right candidate to see the job postings. It takes time for word about the job to filter out there. It takes time to do active recruitment. So typically, we find the best results come when you post the job for eight to 10 weeks. And and really work the opportunities for people to get to see it, both through online promotion, through a variety of different platforms. And, and we do have material we can share with people regarding where we would recommend posting positions. And that's something we can make available and you can share through the Community Cats podcast site. But for a very important position like that, you would want to allow time for it. Now, for a position like a department manager, maybe you don't need to allow as much time to identify the right candidate. It might be fairly easy to recruit locally. Uh, there might be several good internal candidates, for example. So that could be done potentially more quickly. And if we were talking about hiring an adoption counselor, it's still really important to get the right person. So you still want to have a process, but it wouldn't be as detailed as this. One thing, though, that I think is consistent across the board when you're trying to hire people is to really take advantage of the interview process and ask questions and listen really carefully. Those points that Diane mentioned, can do, will do, and fit, those are things that you can get at through the questions that you ask and by watching how the person reacts and really listening to their answers carefully and determining if they are a fit. And again, you know, that's going to apply to every level position. And there are some keys to asking questions that are really more or less effective. And Diane, would you want to talk about that, about what kinds of questions really help to reveal the candidate? I think one of the more important parts is, is developing those questions. And I think there's, in my opinion, kind of two reasons that you have a set of questions. One is like Bonnie says, is to really understand getting at what those core competencies are. Do they have the qualifications? But also sometimes it's to get them to talk about situations that they might not otherwise talk about. So what's really important is to ask open-ended questions 
which means questions that you cannot answer with a yes or no. Also, situational ones are really good when you can ask something like, can you tell me about a situation where you had to deal with an employee that had performance issue and how did you handle that and what were the outcomes of that? rather than just asking, have you ever dealt with it? So it's open-ended questions, it's situational questions. And of of course, too, it's always okay to ask follow-up questions if they haven't felt like they've really gotten to the core of what you're trying to ask originally. Diane, I wanted to ask you a question about salary range. You know, investing in an executive director, especially for an organization that is choosing to hire their first executive director, it can be a huge expense for the organization. How do you determine what the appropriate salary range is? Because it's not like there's a huge representation of executive directors, say, for an organization with $500,000 in annual revenue to a million or something like that. That's not a big organization, but yet they're sort of in that range where they need significant leadership. So I'm just wondering, how do you actually figure out what's like a fair salary? Well, one of the things obviously you can do is to compare what others are making, but I think that really is so dependent upon the location of the position also. So we have conducted salary surveys and being able to look at what really makes sense giving the cost of living for that area, as well as the level of responsibility and the size of the organization. But Bonnie has personally been involved in those in the past, so I think maybe she might have a little bit more to add there. Diana is talking about us doing a salary survey, and that's true. We do have done that for organizations. Organizations can also do it themselves. And the way that we do that is a combination of online research and looking at some of the information that is out there. For example, SAWA, now the Association for Animal Welfare Advancement does an annual salary survey. Also, most states have an employers association that does an annual salary survey. And you can do online research looking for your area for that job title and seeing what the pay range is for your community. And also, Diane mentioned different communities. There are all sorts of cost calculators that will show you online, you know, where your community falls in as far as cost of living. Because sometimes people are sort of penny wise and pound foolish. They want to get a great executive director, but they don't want to pay very much. And it's a worthwhile investment. And you can hire an executive director potentially that has development background in part. And that individual may be able to substantially help upgrade your entire organization, including what your annual operating budget is. And so again, you know, looking not only at where the organization is at today, but where the organization wants to be in the future can help you decide what the right salary range is going to be. I know also some groups are reluctant to publish a salary range, but I will tell you that it helps to get candidates, especially if you're open to candidates from outside of the field. And the reason that's the case is because often people who are in the business world who may have some great transferable skills assume that working for a nonprofit that the pay rate is going to be very low. And so by publishing that pay rate, you can attract candidates in some cases that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get 
And just one thing I want to hop back to that Diane was talking about, which is the questions and trying to get people to recount examples of their past experiences is just so helpful. And one of the things that always helps me to keep in, that in mind when I'm framing questions is this old adage that past performance is the most reliable indicator of future performance. And if you keep that in mind while you're formulating the questions for your candidates, it will really help you in assessing the responses that you are getting and helping to decide which person is the right one. And we do have resources that we can share, again, through Community Cats podcast for questions that you might want to consider and you want to cover, you know, a fair amount of territory in your questions so that you don't forget to ask about some essential things. So I think that resource that we can share will really help. Providing a safe and nurturing environment is every cat caregiver's top priority. The American Association of Feline Practitioners understands your cat's natural behaviors and aims to supply you with tips and resources to help you provide the very best care for your cat. Join our cat community by visiting catfriendly.com and you can sign up for our newsletter. This website was designed to be a place where cat caregivers can receive credible and trustworthy information from veterinarians on a variety of topics just for cats. Learn ways to understand your cat's unique characteristics and behaviors, how to keep your cat healthy, and the importance of routine veterinary care. Did you know that August 22nd is National Take Your Cat to the Vet Day? Make sure you visit catfriendly.com to find out why it is important to take your cat to the veterinarian for his or her annual checkup. Get tips on how to make it a less stressful experience for you and your cat. You can also search for a cat-friendly practice near you. Don't wait. Visit catfriendly.com today. Does your cat have dazzling eyes and an effervescent personality? Is your adopted kitty the most beautiful in your eyes? The Cat Fanciers Association wants to invite you and your cat to join its new Companion Cat World program. Since 1906, CFA has had a deep love and respect for all cats, no matter what their breed. Companion Cat World is part of our mission to make all cats' lives better with love and celebration. You and your cat can join for just $13. Plus, your cat will be showcased in a CFA gallery. You'll get exclusive discounts on cat food, toys, and supplies, plus a customized membership card. You'll get to attend events and the chance to compete in the household pet category in our regional, national, and international cat shows. And a portion of your fee will benefit homeless cat rescues and shelters throughout the world. Check us out at www.cfa.org. Is your organization struggling because your out-of-date shelter software doesn't support your organization's needs? Do you struggle to communicate with your fosters and to get videos, photos, and updates on the animals easily? Did you know that Dubert does much more than transport? If you haven't been back to Dubert in a while, you definitely need to check it out. Their rescue tube functions allow you to easily get video from fosters and staff, and their foster space module is revolutionary in the industry, allowing you to manage hundreds of fosters while easily communicating with them through text, email, and messaging. Dubert is the only place where you can manage fosters, transports, social media, and even your own online store all in one place. Whether you're trying to manage 10 animals or 10,000, Dubert provides much more than any shelter management package does for managing your organization at scale. Check it out and sign up for free at www.dubert.com where they make animal rescue simple. 
One other thing I wanted to get to before we actually run out of time is the lifespan of directors of development and executive directors. It seems that it tends to be a short lifespan. Uh, You look at some resumes and people are moving from job to job after being there for two or three years, sometimes even more like 18 months. You know, how can we ensure some longevity in these positions? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I agree, Stacey. I feel like they are shortening. As we move into the future, people just are increasingly mobile and they do tend to change jobs more often than used to be in even the recent past. I think one way you can begin to address that is talking to candidates about how important it is to the organization and asking for a commitment. Some organizations also ask for contracts, but really it is very common that people move on within the three-year range. Diane, did you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, I I agree with Bonnie. And I used to do recruiting in the non-animal welfare world. And we'd look at a resume. And if people were moving around every year or two, that would be kind of a red flag. And it's it's just common, more common in general that I think people move around. But in our field, it's a very stressful field. And I see certainly a lot of movement within the field. Besides having a contract, and you can ask people if they will make a commitment, and it's kind of hard to have them live up to that or make them do that. But one of the ways we do it, too, is if somebody is relocating and you're offering to cover relocation costs, that you can build that into your contract or agreement that says that those costs will have to be repaid if somebody is not there for a certain period of time. And I would say normally it's like a two or three year at least. And you know that doesn't may not sound long, but but it's long enough at least to be able to get them established there and be able to see, I guess, some returns on their efforts. But again, I think it also has to do with what Bonnie said that the past is a good example of what the future is. If you can find people that have made commitments and stayed longer at certain places, I think you know there's a better chance that they're probably going to be more likely to do that again. If you are an organization faced with making the decision to hire a director of development or an executive director, Diane, who would you choose first to hire? Well, if you had that luxury of making that choice, I would definitely go with the executive director first because I feel like then that person can be a part of the process of selecting the development director. They are the ones that will be overseeing that person. They need to be able to work really closely together. And I think it's really important that the personalities fit and also that you're complementing the skill sets too, because there is some definite crossover between the two. And then Diane, if you were faced with the decision of not both, but one or the other for a foreseeable period of time until finances would allow, would you go first with an executive director with fundraising experience? So they would sort of wear both hats or director of development and have, you know, whoever, whether it was a founder or whatever, leading the ship continue to do that? Well, I would definitely go, and I had this situation with a client recently, but I would definitely go with an executive director because especially in a smaller organization, they're going to be more involved in the fundraising aspects of things anyway. And I feel like you need somebody that's going to give that overall leadership to the organization. But I'll let Bonnie add her thoughts on that one too. Yeah, I would agree if, you know, all things being equal, I think, you know, if you were recruiting for both at the same time and a really stellar development candidate came along, I might go with that because they are very hard to find. I think if there's a position that's even harder to fill than executive director, 
with a really strong and great person, it's probably development. It's challenging. It's a competitive field. Development people often do not stay in one place very long, and it's not easy to find a really great one. I think that's interesting. Do you have advice for organizations that may not have paid leadership staff and maybe they're looking at phasing out some of the people on their board that have been doing the work for like the last 20 years and they're looking to bring in new people and they may not necessarily be paid, but they're looking to recruit new leadership. Any advice on that, Bonnie? I know you ran a small nonprofit for many years, so I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I do have advice. And I think that the very best thing you can do with a young organization or one that's at the stage you're talking about where they're ready to bring in more paid staff or higher level paid staff is to set the right structure as early in the life of the organization as you can. And by that, I mean, even when everybody is all volunteer at the beginning, you can still have job titles and job descriptions. You know, the role of board member is distinctly different than the role of staff. And there's a lot of great information out there on that. And getting that right early on really helps the organization when you get to the point of hiring an executive director, because that's challenging. You know, you have board members who've been used to doing everything and not used to having to involve this other person, the executive director in the decision making and people being people, you know, any new executive director isn't going to be exactly perfect in every way. And so there's a whole adjustment period. But the adjustment period is easier if all along one of the board members has also had the title of executive director or uh, development director or operations person because they come to understand that shifting of hats that now I'm wearing my executive director hat and now I'm wearing my board president hat or whatever the case may be because the roles are distinctly different. And it's It's a very challenging time when you first make that switch. There's no question about it. And Diane, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Any other follow-up thoughts? Yeah, so one thing I do want to say is that Bonnie covered it a little bit when she was talking about the fact that some groups just want to take somebody they've got from within and put them into position kind of quickly. But it also relates to trusting the process and you may not find a good candidate in the first round. And even though I know people are usually very anxious to fill whatever position it is that's open, that it's really worth getting the right person in the position, even if you do have to wait longer to get them. So that's what I'd like to end on is to trust the process and don't be afraid to admit or decide that you really didn't find the right person in a round of recruiting and be willing to open it back up again. And Bonnie, do you have any last thoughts? And if folks are interested in finding out more about Humane Network, how would they do that? Yeah, I totally agree with Diane on that. It is such a headache when you have the wrong person in a position, especially a high leadership position within your organization, that it's well worth waiting for that right person. The other little piece of advice I would add is don't skimp on the reference calls. A lot of people make assumptions that, well, they're references, and of course, they're going to be good. And generally, that is true. But if you ask very pointed questions of the references, and we can make recommendations of what those questions would be in the materials we share with you guys, you'll be surprised what you will learn about people. And it can be very helpful and even instrumental in helping you decide between candidates. So I would not forego the reference calls. And that kind of 
it's back to Diane's, you know, have a process and trust that process and follow it can be really valuable. Anyway, the last thing, how to find us, we are Humane Network and our website is humanenetwork.org and would be delighted to hear from anyone if they have questions. We're happy to try to help. And you can email us at info at humanenetwork.org. Excellent. Wonderful. Well, Diane and Bonnie, I want to thank you both so much for joining me today and agreeing to be a guest on my show or guests on my show. (laughs) And thank you again. And for the listeners out there, I hope you'll share this podcast, share the podcast with friends, family, others involved in different rescue groups. The more that you share, the more information that gets out there. So thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Stacey. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 